Last but not least, we are in the final week of our Psalm Songs series. I always struggle to say that. Don't try to say it three times fast. It's difficult. But hey, the band has been preparing. They have knocked it out of the park every single week. This is no exception. So sit back, relax. Let's enjoy this song together. Every week, every week 
week I give them a song and I think maybe this will be the one that they mess up and they just don't do it. Every week they come back and they just nail it for us and that's a good thing. Um, just, you know, I didn't do this with the first service, but just, just I, I just want to see a show of hands and I can, I can see you, I tr just trust me, okay? How many of you have ever heard that song before, ever, in your life? Okay, they're going to make fun of me in the staff meeting tomorrow. There is no doubt about that. None whatsoever, okay? Um, a tribute to Tom Laughlin from the 70s. Uh, I, I, I watched this movie as a kid. It's from the movie called Billy Jack. Um, the crazy part is when the Jesus movement from the 70s really started to kick into gear and people were doing songs with, oh no, guitars and drums and things, um, Church after church after church youth service played that song over and over and over in the 70s when there was a real evangelical movement going on that Jesus was going to come back. About the time that there were movies like Time to Run and um, 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 what was, yeah, uh, Crossing the Switchblade and Thief in the Night and things like that were coming out. Um, those of us that are like in my generation remember those things. I remember this song came and came and came. And I wanted to use it... Um, because um, when I think about um, growing up myself, our nation is in a situation like it was back in the 60s and 70s. There's a lot of rioting going on. There's a lot of protesting going on. There's a lot of marching going on. And, and seriously, these are the times where you sit back and you think, God, are you on the throne? Are, are, are you, can you see what's going on? Are, are you paying attention? And, and there's a lot of times when people will come and say, well, where's your God now? Why isn't your God doing something? Why doesn't your God just come down and strike and come down and strike and come down? Why isn't that going on? And I kind of want to talk about that just a little bit. This song, for whatever reason, also has a feel to me like the battle for Helm's Deep, okay? Are you familiar with that? Okay, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings, they're down there in the valley, the orcs are coming, the, the, um, the wargs are coming, the, um, the dwarves are coming, and they're not happy. Everybody's not happy, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and this is going to be an awful battle. And then all of a sudden, on the morning of the third day, to the east, on the hill, Gandalf, sorry about this, but J.R.R. Tolkien was doing all kinds of Bible themes in that. Um, um, storyline, but here comes Gandalf from the east, you know, the sun, the clouds split, there's a great big white light, and he comes racing down into the crowd, and it's like, it is on, we're going to have a battle, and that's what I hear when I hear this song, it's like, it's going to happen all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, boom, but when I, when I listen to that story, I hear the parable, and I'm not going to get into this parable directly, um, but I hear the parable of Jesus and the pearl of great price. Because here's these valley people, and somebody said there's treasure up on that hill. Now listen to me, I'm going to kind of get in your chair with you today, okay? And, and you don't have to like me, I just want you to wrestle with it, all right? But here's Jesus with this pearl of great price, and here's this story of the valley people, and they want the treasure up on the mountain. And here's the valley people right here. There's the valley people out there. We're supposed to be kingdom people, and the pearl of great price is grace, mercy, forgiveness, and the connection in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the message of the church. That's what we're supposed to be about. I asked, um, I, excuse me, I was um, on Facebook last week. I don't know if I said this or not in the service, but somebody asked the question, what is the purpose of the church? And so real quick, real quick, if I was to say, what is the purpose of the church outside of the fact I may have said this last week, 
How would you answer that? And I've got people say, love everybody. Um, buy everybody free coffee in the line at Starbucks when you're going through, buy the person behind you. You know, it, it's things like that. But the truth of the matter is, the true purpose of the church is found in the last thing Jesus told us to do before he left. It's found right there. You can't miss it. Here's the problem. We are a complicated people. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I keep saying, listen, girl, you are married to the simplest guy in the world. And sometimes she goes, I knew that. Um, but sometimes she's like, no, you're not. You are one complicated guy, okay? We don't have to complicate the problem. This is what I think is the issue, if there's such thing as an issue, with Christian people today. Here's the issue. It's almost not complicated enough. We don't have to kill any dragons and yank his teeth out and bring it back and say, there, we triumphed. Jesus said, go love people in the kingdom by making them disciples. That's the last thing we were told to do is go make a disciple. And, and, and we're like, I know, but that's what he said 2,000 years ago. What do you think he would say today? <laughs> okay, want me, to, want me to square it up for you? Go make disciples. It, it doesn't get complicated. It's a simple, you don't have to go and be a monk in a monastery. You don't have to be a nun in a convent. You don't have to like crawl on your hands and knees up the mountain like some of these Buddhists and, and you know, world religion people do. You don't have to flail yourself. You don't, all you have to do is make disciples. Hey, get together and let's look at what Jesus said. You know we're in one of the greatest times in the world for evangelism, believe it or not, right now? It rates right up there with the plague of the 1300s. Don't you think during that plague, the black plague, people are like, what is God doing? Hey, let's talk about that. Haven't you had conversations with people going, man, what do you think God thinks about all this? I'll tell you what he thinks about all this in 25 minutes. Just give me 25 minutes. 25 to 31. That'll be about right, okay? Give me 25 minutes to tell you what I think that God thinks about all of this, okay? I'm doing the math on the, on the sign. There's a thing up there that says stop now. Okay, it doesn't really say that, it just turns red. Uh, and so I, I want to stay within that. But here's the deal the battle that you and I are in, like the battle that was sung about just now, is very, very real. It's very, isn't it? Didn't you see that, that, that there's another move in our government to get God out of the money, get God out of the congressional hearings? We don't want any more prayer. We don't Listen, and, and pick a party. Jesus did not come down here to pick sides. He came here to take over, okay? That's what he came to do. So he's not picking your side or my side. Jesus said, you're all on my side. And let me say that by saying... America does not have God in it, okay? God has Christian America in it. Not all of America, Christian America. Now, if I, if I can make it overly simple for you. Draw a circle. That's the kingdom of God. Stand in the middle. That's the Christian people in America. You don't draw a circle, and that's America, and then here's God. No, 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 no. There is a kingdom that I am a part of. The kingdom on the mountain is the kingdom that I'm part of. The mountain is Jerusalem. I'm just adding all of these metaphors in. The mountain is the worship temple. The mountain is where God is seated, on the mount of God. We are the children of God, and we have a mission. We have a message. We have a treasure. We have a pearl in a field that is worth all of your life for you to gain. But it's not a ticket that you buy 
It's a journey that you walk in. So when Jesus says there was a man that had a field and he found his pearl in his field, he buries the, the, the pearl and he goes, or, you know, he, found, he finds the pearl, he goes, sells everything he can, comes back and buys this pearl. Very much like the treasure. In the land he finds a treasure, he buries it, goes back, buys, sells everything he's got, buys the land. But we've got to stay in that, that, that area where it's like we're focused. you got a job, great. You've got a job to share the gospel. You've got a, an education process that you're going through. You have an education process that gives you a venue to share the gospel. You have friends that aren't saved. You have a venue to begin to talk about God. Not with a hammer, not with a club, just a simple Hey, what do you think about God? What do you think that God thinks about all of this? And when they say, well, I don't believe in God, no problem. But see, that's a good one-liner to open with. Hey, what do you think God thinks about all of this COVID stuff and, and all of this um, ethnic um, tension and all? What do you think God thinks about all this? Well, I don't know if there's a God or not. Okay, you don't think there's a God? Well, uh, no. Okay, where do you think we came from? You do not have to have a, 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 a Bible college degree. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a biology degree. All you have to do is have a God heart. That's it for people that are going to hell. But the people in the valley think that that treasure up there is supposed to give them everything that they want on this earth. So the people on the mountain that have the love, the peace, the grace, and the mercy aren't sharing that. And so they race up the hill to get it. And they turn the stone and they look underneath and it says, peace on earth. That's all it says. Wow. Aren't we supposed to be there as the church? Isn't that our message? Isn't that our mission? That's where we're supposed to be. It took me nine, almost ten minutes to get to the scripture that I want to share with you today. I am just watching it all, okay? But I want this in your heart as we wrap up. The, I love this series. It's one of my favorite ones because all kinds of obscure songs come out that I know really well, and the young people sing them like, I've never heard that before. And it's like, that's okay. I'm going to love you doing it. It's going to be super. And they've knocked it out of the park. Psalm chapter 2. If you've got one of these, open that baby up. If you've got a, a digital implement, open that baby up. If you came ungirded, if I can say it that way, it's okay. I got no rock to throw. It's going to show up up there. Psalm 2. Why? Do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. Can I describe America to you any better than that right there? Can I describe the world to you any better than the writer of the book of Psalms chapter 2 just did? But guess what? That was the condition back then too. That was the condition back then. Some people will say, oh, it's worse now. No, it's not. And I can sit down and have coffee with you, but you have to buy, and I'll explain it to you, okay? But there it is. They, they, the rulers gather together and stand against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. We don't have to go to church. We don't have to live according to their rules. We can be as immoral as we want. Their morality is no better than our morality. Everybody decides for themselves what's morality. Throw off your fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, 
You are my son, today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. You will rule them with an iron scepter, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise and be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be, uh, be, angry and, uh, be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. There's, there's the message right there. There it is. Go ahead and hate your neighbor, but it's going to come down on you hard. Okay? And, and, and this is where we need to be. We need to be sharing the treasure that's on the mountain that is the, the, the grace, the peace, the love, and the person of Jesus Christ. And we need to be doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to come away from this world. We need to be safe. We need to be careful. We need to wear our masks if we must. Um, and we must. Don't, I'm not, uh, sorry, I'm not ridiculing anybody. We must, okay? We must, all right? But we need to never, ever, ever forget what we're doing here and why we're here. We are here, first and foremost, to make disciples. Jesus came to that which was lost, and there is coming a day when the Lord will come back with all of his holy angels. There will be a trumpet blast, the dead in Christ will rise, and then those of us that are left will be caught up together with them in the air. That's what's going to happen. We're 2,000 years closer than Paul was when he said that, okay? So I'm getting more right and more right than the Apostle Paul, okay? Now, I, I don't need to be more right. I'm just saying that even Paul said, listen, you have got to live like he's coming back any time because Paul knew Jesus' parable. The master went away and nobody knows when he's coming back. So you've got to, are you ready for this? Live ready so you don't have to get ready. Chuck Swindoll said that in a Bible study when I was 17, 18 years old and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. I guess it was, yeah, 18 and a half, 19 because I was already working. I was listening to these Bible studies every day and he was talking about working in a machine shop. And there was a guy there and every day at five o'clock the whistle goes, and everybody in the, in the plant was running around getting everything ready, getting everything ready. And, and this guy told Chuck and he was mentoring him a little bit. He said, look, you know that that clock, I mean that siren's going to sound every day at five o'clock. Every day at 5 o'clock, she's going, eh, and you know it's time to leave. So here's the deal. Keep your tools in, in where they belong. If you take it out of the box, put it back in the box. If you, if you move this, when you're done with it, move it back during your day. And this is why. Because at 5 o'clock, it's going to go, eh, and then you're going to be scrambling to put everything back where it goes. He's saying, you don't have to quit your work, but if you always put your tools back where they go, you can live ready so you don't have to get ready. And the same thing is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, the trumpet is going to blow. Okay, I, I am just almost convinced any second. I mean, how much have we seen um, America escalate in the last hundred years? The immorality, the darkness, the, the, just the lack, overall lack of common sense, the, you know, you can't spend more money than you make idea belongs to the government as much as it belongs to you. And sooner or later, it's going to go crash. And I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that when it goes crash, you're going to hear the trumpet sound. And all chaos is going to break loose on this planet. It's escalating, it's escalating, it's escalating. It doesn't make sense. I don't mind being wrong. I just want to be, like it said in the scripture, the one warning you. 
Warn the kings. You have been warned, you kings of the earth. Warn the people. Not mean and nasty. Not mean and nasty. The invitation of Jesus Christ has never been a hammer and it's never been a club. It's always been an extended hand that says, you are welcome in the house of God. You are, I don't care how many tattoos you've got. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. What I care about is, are you trying to get closer to God? Are you looking for a revelation? Are you looking for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I'll tell you what, I believe this so much that I know it, I have studied it. I believe it, I am now living it as a result of that, and I'm sharing it because I'm telling you, I've seen what God's done in my personal life. And he wants to do it in yours, but not with you throwing a pittance at him of allegiance. Complete allegiance to him, complete willingness to do things his way, not your way. Complete willingness to say, that doesn't make sense, but I guess if you say so, like the prodigal son did, okay, he went and squandered everything he did, but when he came to his senses, and then when they were fishing, that's when he said, but because you say so, those two things, when we come to our senses and we're willing to say, hey, because you say so, it doesn't make sense, but because you say so, we're going to do it your way, you will begin to see your life change. You really will. I'm telling you, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you. When you don't see your life changing, you got to back up and say, did I just only academically acknowledge the truth of what I see written or what I just heard in a sermon? What I want to know is when does it change your life so that we take the treasure out of the ground on the mountain and we take it down to the people in the valley below and we begin to say, this is the treasure that we have. I have no rock to throw at you and I love you. In the church, there should be no racism. In the church, there should be no rocks getting thrown. In the church, there should be truth. You do not compromise on truth, and I've never been given permission to determine what is and isn't sin. It's written right there in the Scripture. I cannot change what is and isn't sin. But what I can tell you is when you're living in sin, God has a better life for you. And it's not because he's mad and he hates you. He wants to pour out his favor on you. But how can God pour out his favor on people going like this to him? You know, and then when we do this and he doesn't do what we want, then we shake our other fists and say, see, he's not there. And we're back in Psalm chapter 2. See, we can't do that. We can't do that. This is the message of the Christ, to live, live ready so that you don't have to get ready. The world is fighting the church, the world is fighting morality, and the world is fighting common sense. It just is. And I love what Jesus said in John 16 because he cares about you personally. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this, and it got written down in the passage and became a part of the Bible because God saw to it that the books in the Bible, before you say, oh, those guys just, you know, they just wrote those things. But who saw to it that it got included in the Bible? Who saw to it that it got included so that you could read it? That was God. That was a work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible was put together according to the way God wanted it. And Jesus said this so you could see it. All this I have told you, and he's talking about the end of times. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. That's you and I. It's pretty easy to fall away, isn't it? I'm just going to tell you it's easy for me to fall away. Joe Wood, human being. Listen, don't expect, I, I'm, I'm doing my level best, but I'm a man just like you men in here, okay? And I, I'm just doing my best. I am avoiding a lifestyle of sin, but that doesn't mean I don't sin. That means I get back up, and my goal as a pastor is not to teach you not to sin. Now, that might shock you just a little tiny bit if you're not from here. 
okay? But here's the reason why. Because I know based on your humanity, you don't have to sin because the Holy Spirit's inside of you. All you can do is listen to him. But based on your humanity, you want what you want when you want it, and pretty soon you're going to sin. My goal is to teach you to get back up and that God is not going to beat you and beat you and beat you because you deserve it. He's going to correct you, and it might hurt on your bottom. Sorry, did I say that in church? Welcome to the vineyard. It might hurt on your bottom just a little tiny bit, okay? It might hurt on your bottom. But the point is he's trying to correct you because he wants you to enjoy the life that he had planned for you that is full of his blessing. I believe that. And I stand in front of you as a result of it. All of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Listen to me. What he says is going to happen to you. And, and, and chronologically, locally, he meant to the disciples. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anybody that kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the father but i've told you this so that when their time comes when they are in charge and they start killing people chasing after god you're like god why jesus said it was going to come they're going to start putting christian people in jail because they're meeting i saw an article this morning already that said that um, um, john MacArthur's. they're going to churn off the power literally cut the electricity to john MacArthur's church this morning this morning, they're going to cut the power because they don't want him meeting together. Now, I get that there's a lot of thoughts about what, why, when, and where, but I'm just telling you, your grandparents would have said, never, that will never happen, ever. Isn't that crazy amazing? And yet here we stand, and it's happening. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. And Jesus says, and I've told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. During the Reformation, the Catholic Church was also was the, the um, reigning political party said that you may not baptize somebody as an adult because <laughs> you're, you're sinning against the God and the church and everything else. And by the way, we're, we're in charge. We're the boss. And there was a whole bunch of people in the 1500s that said, no, 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 you can't get baptized as a baby. That's wrong. That baby has to have a choice. The baby has to decide for itself. Repent and then be baptized. How can you repent if you're only five or six days old or five or six weeks old? You need to be able to repent and then be baptized. And it was so bad that when the government said, no, you may not, they said, fine, we're going camping. And they went up into the woods and they took ladles, I mean, uh, milk cans full of, of uh, water. And they went up into the woods if they didn't have a creek or a lake. And they started splashing water on each other and baptizing people anyway. Because Jesus said the time is coming when they will think that they're doing God a favor by killing you. And I've got a whole book that thick and about that square called the Martyrs, uh, Mirror's Book of Martyrs. And, and inside of that is time after time after time after time of people that said, we just want to love God. And they said, you're going to get burned at the stake then because you need to recant that you're not a part of this particular church right now. The time is coming, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't want you to be surprised. My favorite example from that whole book, believe it or not, and I've said this before in here, is a 15-year-old kid talking to Catherine the Great. And he's sitting with Catherine the, the Great, and they're debating God and Jesus and everything back and forth, and, she, and he's telling her how much... He's a prisoner. And she keeps hauling him in saying, tell me about this, Jesus. And they keep having these meetings, and she keeps recording. And finally, she gets to the place where he's supposed to be burned to death the next day, and, and, and she says, listen, I just need you to recant your baptism as an adult, as a 15-year-old. 
And he says, I can't do that. And she says to him, it's, it's written down, if you will just recant, we can keep having these meetings and I need to hear this stuff. And he said, I would rather die for my Jesus than deny him. He was looking, excuse me, he was looking forward to dying the next day. And we're, we're not there, are we? No, we're just, just, you know, so are we too connected to the earth? Did we forget that we're in God's circle, God's not in our circle? Can we get to the place where we understand once again that going home is the actual goal because he's prepared a place for us so that where he is, we also can be with him? What a great thing. That, that defines the Reformation. Martyr syndrome, psychologists will tell you. Everybody wanted to die for the sake of Christ. Everybody wanted to be burned at the stake. Everybody wanted to be cut in four pieces. That's what quartered means. Okay, drawn and quartered. Everybody wanted to be drowned so that they could count them. I was worthy enough to die. And we're like, I've got a hangnail, God. You've got to do something about it. I'm being persecuted by the enemy. Take a pill, <laughs> soak it in some hydrogen peroxide, and get back to work making disciples. Don't lose sight. Don't let the COVID distract you. Are you making a disciple? Don't let the ethnic you know, issues going back and forth stop you. Let it change your heart. Let it make you more aware. But don't let it stop you from making disciples. The voices all around you and I are laughing, saying, where's your God? And I love this in Psalm 42, the sons of Korah said, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Nothing's changed, has it? Thousands, probably what, we're looking at two, three, almost 3,000 years now, 3,500 maybe, since that was written, and people are still surrounding you and I say, well, where's your God now? Well, won't you just tell him to come down here and show up, and I'll believe in him. Well, I'm not God. The, the cake doesn't tell the baker what to do. You know what I mean? The, the baker gets to do whatever he wants with the cake, or to get more biblical from Jeremiah, the potter can crush the pot if he wants to because the goal is to go home, not to have more stuff on this planet. See? Have the stuff while you're here. Listen, I'm not going to stop and say I'm not thanking God for my life. I do. I'm just telling you, my life and the things that I own, where I live, none of that expresses that I'm more favored than anybody else on this planet. None of it does. I was just as happy in western Oklahoma. I was just as happy in, in uh, New Carlisle, Ohio. I was just as happy down in Dallas, Texas, or Fort Worth, Texas. I was just as happy. The point is, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to do that business? Peter encourages you and I today, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish. You want to know why he hasn't come back yet? Because the full sum of people that are going to surrender to him as their Lord and Savior. He wants to fill up heaven. God is trying to get you in, not get you out. God is not waiting there going, you're out. Thank you. Now I've got room for that guy over there. He wants to make room for you too. And we've got to get back to where we understand that, yes, I'm supposed to come away from sin, but the reason is because he wants me in. He wants me in. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Peter says, I'm telling you, it's going to come like a thief in the night. There's a movie from the 70s. Come like a thief in the night, just like that. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day, everything you did when you thought you were in the dark, everything you said when nobody was listening or when you just had a friend that you were gossiping to, is going to be open and laid bare before anybody else standing there near the throne. I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ because I am one stupid dude. I'm just telling you, and I'm thankful that God took into account my stupidity when he called me to this mission. <laughs> I really am. But sometimes he has to correct me and bring me back. It's the same thing that happened in the days of Noah. They, they, where's, where's your reign? Where's your God? Matthew 26, Jesus says, about that day and the hour when he's going to come back, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Notice that he didn't list anything immoral. Nothing immoral. He didn't say, these people will be so bad and they were so awful and things were so terrible that God sent that rain. We know that was the cause. But he just simply said, they're going to be going about their everyday business, giving no attention to God whatsoever until finally the rain starts falling. Uh, let me just read the passage. We'll get back to it. It says, um, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Excuse me. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the flood. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. And this is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be at the grinding with the hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Noah's building an ark. For 120 years, he builds an ark. Him and his sons, him and his sons and his grandpa, him and his sons and his dad, Lamech and Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible, would have had opportunity to interact with, um, if I get this right, would have had an opportunity to interact with Noah as a young, young, young man and also could have possibly interacted way back here real close to Noah's day, or Adam's day or at least a, um, um, Seth's day. Crazy how these things did back then. You know, he's 969 years old in the course of events, and if you've ever seen one of those graphs, it's like draw a straight line and look at all the kings, not kings, but all the people that are listed in the scripture that Methuselah would have interacted with and said they had firsthand evidence of the creation of the world, if you believe that. I choose to, and I've bet my whole life on it. They saw the boat being built. Noah, what are you doing? For a hundred years, they built that ark. What's rain? And then pretty soon, it starts drip-dropping. No big deal. Everybody's sitting around going, wow, you think this might be serious? You think something might be going on? Pretty soon, you know, the water's around their ankles because it starts coming up from the deeps as well as coming down from the heavens. And then pretty soon, they're like, well, would you look at there? Do you think there's any chance that guy's right? And then pretty soon, it's up to their waist. And pretty soon, it's up to their armpits. And pretty soon, listen to me, I'm being serious with you. I'm not trying to be funny. Pretty soon, they're treading water, pounding on the side of the ark. And Noah can't open the ark because the door is three stories tall. 
And God shut them in. Noah did not close the ark. God shut them in. And he, Noah cannot open it to save those people. And just for the record, think about this. Those are his nieces, his nephews, his brothers, his sisters. Those are his aunts and his uncles. Those are the people that he went to market with. Those are the people that he traded with. Those are, those are good people that didn't do anything nasty. But they did not believe the message. And they died on this earth. Only eight in all were saved. Wow. In the days of Noah, they, not, they mocked him and made fun of his devotion to God. In the days of Noah, they lived for themselves, not acknowledging God. In the days of Noah, they had been warned. They saw the ark. In the days of Noah, they didn't believe. Speaking of Jesus' resurrection, excuse me, Peter says, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to those imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah for the ark to be built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. That just simply means a right relationship. You have admitted that you're a sinful person. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. And that lifestyle is now reflected as you follow Jesus. The most popular thing Jesus said, come, follow me. Not, hey, where are you going? Can I hang with you? He never said that. <laughs> he said, come, follow me. And that's the invitation. And I love what Paul says as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. He says that because he said this is going to happen suddenly, kaboom, just like this. You know what I mean? The trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise, those of us that are, in the, uh, that are still alive are going to be caught up with them in the air. I'm counting on that. I want to be there. And Paul tells Timothy this, and I love it, mark it, write this down, take note, take notice, pay attention, Timothy. There will be terrible days in the last days. Look what, look, look what Paul says are terrible days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Isn't that a harsh thing? Don't have anything to do with them. He's talking about people in the church. Did you miss that? having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's people in the church. The power that you and I exist in is the power of the Holy Spirit of God that we received when we surrendered our life to Jesus, if we ever surrendered our life and didn't just accept him as our Lord and Savior. On the one hand, we accept him and we say, now you need to do this for me, Jesus. On the other hand, we surrender and say, what now, Lord? He wants what now, Lord, from you. That's what he wants from you. Nothing else is good enough. I'm sorry, I love you. I don't care if you've been baptized or not. What I want to know is, are you living in an ongoing relationship that says, what now, Lord? Because that's where we need to be living, and making disciples is the goal. Just like the, the song from today, we fight and we war. We fight for political power, for the right to control, manipulate people, for greed, for sex. We fight for rights. We fight for the unborn, and rightly so. But we fight and we fight and we fight, and in the, in the end, only one thing matters. Did we love people? Did we invite people? Did we love people? Did we disciple people? And so we keep going. We've been called to be different. Just like in the parable of the pearl or the treasure, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. 
Did we love people enough to warn them of the truth? Did we love people enough to disciple them? Did we love people enough to provide for them? Did we love people enough to keep our vows with them? Peter says, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ash and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly, uh, the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment to the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. So as we begin to wind this thing up, in the midst of everything that's going on in our midst today, are you fighting against God or are you fighting for God? That's the question. Are we fighting against God or are we fighting for God? Am I looking for opportunities to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'm betting my whole life on, is the, is the excuse me, but God's honest truth, okay? Am I willing to bring that into my sphere of influence. I'm not saying you gotta like buy a soapbox. You don't have to buy a soapbox and put it down, walk into your place and say, you're all gonna burn! You don't have to do, you don't have to do that, okay? That's not the way Jesus did it. Jesus did it with a conversation. Hey, go get your husband. Lord, I don't have a husband. You're right, you have five. And the one you're living with now isn't yours. But let's talk. He didn't humiliate her. He didn't make her feel horrible, but he didn't compromise either. He said, we just got to be honest. We got to be straight up, man. I got no rock to throw. It's an invitation to a new life. Are you fighting against God or are you fighting for God? Listen to me. No one serving as a soldier, Paul told Timothy, gets entangled in the affairs, but rather, in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Are you living to please God? Is your allegiance to God first? Above all else, is your allegiance to God first? First. Not your political party, not your pocketbook, not your 401k. God first. Do you trust him so much that you can trust him with all of those other things? Your family, your spouse, your relationships, your job, your career. Can you say yes? Are you fighting against God or are you fighting for God? I want to die fighting for God. I do. Let me ask you this one, and this one I'm dead serious about. Are you sowing hope or are you sowing fear? Are you hanging on the fear train? I'm convinced that there are some people that just love to be scared so much. They want to go to the you know, haunted houses and watch all the scary movies that they're hanging on the fear train. And all they can say is fear, 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 fear. That's all they can say. And I don't think that's where we need to be. The church should be the place of hope. We should be the place that people come and we sit down and say, listen, we, we've got to be careful. We've got to do due diligence, but we're going to be okay. If you look at the stats, I would buy a lottery ticket based upon the stats that I see being thrown around as fear. <laughs> I would. 99% or greater? Man, I'd buy that lottery ticket in a heartbeat. 
But I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be careful. But move forward. The church should be sharing hope because the goal is not to stay on the planet. The goal is to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because that means you're going to the right, not the left. We're going with the sheep, not the goats. And I want to encourage you in that. And this is the last one I want to encourage you in. And I've been a little discouraged personally in my soul um, lately. It's like, God, how can we continue to move forward? How can we reach people? And yeah, we did the, and I want to thank some of you, because I mean, some of you poured in healthy to make sure we could do the live streaming so that you at home could be safe. And, and I'm glad that you're there because you're here with us at the same time. But some of you made that possible and some of you made that possible. Thank you for that. But here's the deal. Are you personally making a disciple? Here, are you fighting against God or are you fighting for God on this planet? Are you sowing hope or are you sowing fear? And finally, are you discipling somebody? Because in John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And every branch that doesn't bear fruit, guess what? Cut off, thrown in the fire. That's not me talking. I'm not doing that to you. Don't, don't, I mean, don't say like, Joe, that's me. That's Jesus. Every branch that's not bearing fruit, what he's talking about is disciples. Literally, that's what he's talking about. Disciples. See, we signed up to be a part of his mission. He didn't sign up to be a part of ours. And if we're a part of his mission and the Holy Spirit's driving it, shouldn't we be in conver excuse me, conversations with people about surrendering their lives to Jesus? A thought today from the book of Joshua from thousands and thousands of years ago still relevant today let me ask you right in your seat right now if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve who are you gonna serve Buddha who are you gonna serve the Republicans who are you gonna serve the Democrats who are you gonna serve the libertarians who are you gonna serve your personal animal flesh who are you going to serve? But as for me, excuse me, whether the gods your ancestors sold or served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And serving the Lord means I need to know what he's saying. And know what he's saying means I need to translate that in what I'm supposed to be doing. And doing what I'm supposed to be doing is going to increase the kingdom of God. Want me to surprise you just a little bit? Pastor Janice is my hero. She's my wife, has been for almost 37 years, chased her around for four years before that, before her parents would let me date her, and rightfully so. And this morning, she got to sit down next to a young lady in, the, in between service and lead her to Jesus. She surrendered her life to Jesus right out there at about 11 o'clock this morning. You know why? Because we're making disciples because we're not going to turn to the left and we're not going to turn to the right because the mission is that way. And we're going to keep doing this thing. And, and Joe Wood is going to get unconnected to some of the discussions that he has passionately been in. And I've been doing my best. And I want to encourage you to get back to the business of the family, making disciples. Are you fighting God? Are you making a disciple? Because I'm in it. I have to look. Are you sowing fear 
or are you sowing hope? Simply put, are you a kingdom citizen? You can be. There are people out there that would love to pray with you. For those of you that are online, you can go to vineyardrichmond.com and down in the lower right-hand corner, when it comes up, after it does its internet magic, there's a little green button that says chat. You can push that button and say, hey, I just want somebody to pray for me. And they will walk you through whatever it was you want to talk to them about. You don't have to tell them any more than you want to. But they want to see you. And I want to encourage you that. For us that are here, since we're not at the place of having you come forward, because we are being cautious, Okay? We have people out there that are waiting for you right now. If there's something that you would like prayer for, is something that you would like to feel cleansed in your soul about, if there's some place that you want God to touch you in accordance with his word and not your personal opinion of it, they want to pray that down on you. They want the Holy Spirit to come down on you in your marriage, in your finances, in your children, in your job, in your career, whatever it is that's going on inside of you, they want God to touch you. And if you walk up there, they will pray for you with their mask on and at an appropriate social distance because we can still do that. They can't stop us. And I want to encourage you in that. Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we want to thank you and praise you for what's going on. We want to thank you for the blessing of who you are. We want to thank you for the fact that it doesn't matter what this world tries to do to shut us down, you are going to continue to grow your church. I want to thank you for these people up here on this stage. I want to thank you for these people in these chairs. I want to thank you, God, for those people that are out there. I want to thank you for the people in the booth. I want to thank you for the people that it is important to get the word into our children in the children's department. I want to thank you for Central Kentucky. I want to thank you, God, for this nation. I want to thank you for what's going on. But God, I pray that you grab a hold of every politician, politician in this nation and you shake the living daylights out of them until they surrender themselves to truth, to honesty, and to integrity to protect the people of this nation. Beyond that, God, I pray that you stir in our hearts a picture of hell and that we see our friends and our family there and let it motivate us because you love us into sharing the truth and get back to the business of being followers of Jesus Christ and not of this world. I bow my head and I ask your forgiveness, Lord, for myself and for these people. Restore to us the joy, O oh God, of our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Mm.